Is it the Homewood Suites? Uh, it's the Winfrey Hotel. Sorry, I've actually stayed there. I should know. It's the Winfrey Hotel in Hoover, Alabama. That's where you'll find today the 2021 SEC Football Media Days Day 1. And here this hour, we're going to be hearing from the head chomper. Dan Mullen has been at the mic today, and we'll get Dan Mullen's take on his Florida Gators, your defending SEC East champs. And the Gators at the bike today will go through the entire schedule of who all is speaking today, who all is going to be scheduled for the rest of the week. <laughs> it's football time in the South, and you know it is when the SEC Football Media Days gets underway, in this case back at the Winfrey Hotel in Birmingham. We'll have that as part of our sports look across the Southeast. Also, we'll tell you about golf. Congratulations to Colin Morikawa. What a show he put on there at Royal St. George in Sandwich, England. And he comes back in the fourth round of the Open Championship and gets a big, big win on the links. And Morikawa picks up his second major. We'll discuss that. Texan Jordan Spieth almost, almost had the ability to fight back and maybe give him a playoff. But in the end, the California kid, Colin Morikawa, an Olympian, by the way, because he's traveling over to Tokyo, I think, as we speak, to get ready for the Olympics. He wins golf's final major of the year. So we'll have information on golf. We'll have information on college football and our sports lookout today. And we'll let you know the latest with the NBA Finals. How about the Milwaukee Bucks? They get the big win over the weekend. And on Tuesday, Milwaukee has an opportunity to close it out with a big win in the NBA Finals if they can win Game 6. But a quick look at some of the sports action that you'll find. And here in hour number one, not only do we have all that sports stuff coming, but we're on a 44-city tour across the southeast as the Y'all Show is telling you all about some of our great colleges across the south. We started off in Birmingham with the UAB Blazers. In recent weeks, we've also told you all about the Memphis Tigers. We've discussed the East Carolina Pirates. And today, we're going to get very normal on today's Y'all Show College Tour as we're going to be going to normal and discussing the Bulldogs. Because, y'all, the team that we're focusing in on today on our 44-city tour across the South, getting you ready for the start of college football season, it is the home of the Bulldogs. It's also the home of your defending black college national champion, and they are your current SWAC champion. And on today's Y'all Show, it's going to be all about the Alabama A&M Bulldogs. We're stopping by normal just north of Huntsville to tell you about A&M, not the one in College Station, the one north of Huntsville. We'll let you know about how the Alabama A&M Bulldogs are your defending SWAC champions. And we'll hear from their very excited head coach, Connell Maynard. And if you like wrestling, when Alabama A&M won the SWAC championship a few months ago, right there on the field in Jackson, Mississippi, Coach Maynard broke out his best WWE impression, and it's, it's pretty funny. We're going to play that for you when it's all about Alabama A&M, our latest stop on our 44-city tour across the southeast. And in hour number three, we'll keep the Alabama A&M Bulldogs in mind when we discuss A&M's traditions and some of their famous alumni. 
And one of their more famous alumni happened to be one of the great players of the Pittsburgh Steelers back in the 1970s, one of their wide receivers. And if you're a big-time Steeler fan, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. But stay tuned for that information. That's an hour three as we discuss Alabama A&M and their tradition and more of the fun that you'll find at this SWAC institution located just north of Huntsville, Alabama. Our latest stop on our tour across the southeast here, getting you ready for the start of college football. Before hour one is up, hey, we got a lot of stuff going on. Before hour one is up, we have our weekly look at southern history. Today we're going to take you to the outskirts of Charleston, South Carolina, as it was this week back in 1863 that the Battery Wagner battle happened. That was when the 54th Massachusetts, the USCT troops, fought there in the Civil War against the Confederate troops. And I'll actually share a personal connection I have to that battle. I had two great-great-grandfathers fight for the Confederates in that battle back in 1863. But this week is the anniversary of that famous battle made famous by the movie Glory. If you've never seen that movie, check it out. But that happened this week. And it was also this week that... A couple of folks from the southeast really pitched in and put on their brain caps and more, and they helped this country and this world get to the moon, as this week we mark the anniversary of the Apollo landing on the moon. And we'll tell you about how Huntsville, back to Huntsville, got a lot of Huntsville stuff on today's show. We'll discuss how Madison County, Alabama, helped out on the space program as it propelled the Apollo 11 rocket to the moon. All that right here in hour number one. Hour two today, our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short. He'll be dropping by, and it's always fun. If you've never heard Jerry Short, oh, you're missing out. And he'll be on in hour number two to tell you all about what's going on in Takapola, USA. We'll have a southern accent on food in hour number two. And then when we get back to hour three of today's y'all show, again, in addition to telling you more about the traditions and fun, of the Alabama A&M Bulldogs. We're going to have more from SEC Media Days. We'll get a report. I think we're going to try to squeeze in a little audio from Shane Beamer. He is the new head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks as he's at the mic here on day one of the SEC Media Days. But we'll have more coach talk coming hour three of today's Y'all Show. That plus more headlines and more about what's coming up on the Y'all Show this week. Pretty exciting stuff, don't you think? Yeah, I do believe. If you want to get involved with y'all, first of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in on incredible radio stations across the Southeast. If you'd like to be involved with the show All About the South, a couple of easy ways to do that. First of all, you can text or call us. Our number, 803-816-1170. 803-816-1170. That's a text line. That is a number you can also call, and we'll be reaching out later in the show and opening up the lines for calls and more, but that is how you can reach us. You can also email us here at the Y'all Show. Our email address is mail, M-A-I-L, mail, at y'all.com. It is extremely easy for you, or should I say y'all, to get in touch with the show that's all about the Southeast. Now, we are picking up a new affiliate today, so let's welcome in a new old affiliate of the All Show, and that's WTJS FM 93.1, broadcasting across 
Bells and Alamo and Jackson and West Tennessee. Thank y'all for being back with us as they were our original home of this daily two and sometimes in this case now three hour show about the Southeast. So we are brand new. If you're just tuning in 93.1 for the first time, thank you for listening to the show all about the Southeast and thank you to Grace Media Group for putting this show on that great station. And we look forward to a very long and very successful partnership with 93.1 and everybody with Grace Media Group as we have the Y'all Show up and going. Let's get into some headlines today across the Southeast. And we'll go to Washington, D.C. with the pandemic pandemic worsening. The Surgeon General has now come out and said that he is worried. And that is what Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy is saying as he appeared on some of the talking head shows over the weekend. But the Surgeon General saying that he's concerned that what lies ahead with cases of COVID-19 increasing in every state, many here in the South, millions are still unvaccinated, and there is a highly contagious virus variant, the Delta variant, spreading across the country. The Surgeon General noting that nearly all coronavirus deaths now are among the tens of millions of people who have not received shots despite widespread vaccine availability. And the Surgeon General, who appeared over the weekend on shows like State of the Union on CNN, saying that he's worried about what is to come because... As he said, we are seeing increasing cases among the unvaccinated in particular. And while if you are vaccinated, you are very well protected against hospitalization and death. Unfortunately, that is not true if you are not vaccinated. So again, that's the words of the Surgeon General. Here on this show, we're not going to tell you what to do, what not to do. Do what you think's best. But I think the logical thing is if you... Unless you have an extremely good excuse, it probably makes more more sense to get vaccinated. That's that's just my opinion, but everybody's got their own opinion about this. So just uh, that's what the, the Surgeon General is reporting, and, and that's what we're reporting to y'all here as we get a week of shows about the South up and going. Story out of Georgia, Woodbine, Georgia: A woman from Florida was killed. The reason this is a newsworthy story: seventeen people injured. After this crash on Interstate 95 in Camden County, that's in the southeastern corner of the state of Georgia, according to the Georgia State Patrol, the wreck sent a semi-trailer and a SUV careening through a guardrail into oncoming traffic. An initial investigation found that the semi-driver lost control and traveled across the northbound lanes, and it hit a Volkswagen Tiguan. Not familiar with the T-I-G-U-A-N coming from Volkswagen. I wonder if that's built in Chattanooga. A pickup truck, a Volkswagen Passat, a Chevrolet Tahoe, and a Dodge Dakota also struck. And the 67-year-old from Jupiter, Florida, Cheryl Insulin, killed in this crash outside of Woodbine, Georgia. But 17 injured over the weekend. And this is just a reminder. We've got a lot of people listening as they travel the highways and byways of the southeast this time of year. I don't know what happened in this particular case, but it's just so... Incredibly important to pay attention. And we've all seen horrible wrecks. There was a horrible wreck near me the other day that I heard about. And some hours later, I just happened to be in that direction of town when a wrecker truck pulls up right in front of me while I'm at a traffic light. 
And this car had hit an 18-wheeler. And it had to be the same car that was part of that wreck from a couple hours earlier. And the engine for this sedan was missing or shattered. It was just a horrible thing to sit there and have to stare in the face as I drove down the highway. And it just reminds us all how dangerous driving can be. I know we live in a world where you can't really function unless you either drive or have somebody to drive for you. Most of the South is a pretty spread up, spread out place, and we can't just depend on public transportation in most cases. But boy, can can we just find some horrible examples whenever there's some crashes? And unfortunately, that's what we saw in, in the case that I saw the other day. It's just, it's just so darn dangerous out there. Please buckle up and slow it down if you can, and let's all get through as much as we possibly can. A death in the political world of Kentucky to report today. A former majority leader in the Kentucky House, Representative John Bam Carney, has died. He was undergoing treatment for pancreatitis. He became sick Christmas of 2019 and diagnosed with this illness, pancreatitis, which led to several life-threatening complications. Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell releasing a statement on Carney's death. Bam Carney was a tireless public service whose devotion to his fellow Kentuckians knew no bounds. He uplifted the lives of his constituents through more than a decade of hard work and dedication, deeply committed to central Kentucky and its people. Again, the former House Majority Leader in the Kentucky House of Representatives, Kentucky Representative John Bam Carney, passing away. I don't have an age for the gentleman, but he had served there in the bluegrass for quite some time. Another political story and a death coming from the state of Mississippi. The former first lady of the Magnolia State, Elise Winter, has passed away. She was the wife of William Winter, who was governor, a controversial governor, frankly, at the time because he was he was a liberal. He was a liberal governor in a state like Mississippi back in the early 1980s. But the former first lady, Elise Garner Winter, passed away Saturday in Jackson, Mississippi, at the age of 95. And again, her husband has just died this year at the age of 97. So she did outlive her late husband, William Winter, by a few months. But it was the winters back in 1984 that the Mississippi legislature passed the 1984 Educational Reform Act, ensuring the state a system of kindergartens, compulsory attendance laws, and other improvements. And Miss Winter, who was from Senatobia, Mississippi, in North Mississippi, went on to Northwest Junior College before going to the University of Mississippi. And she and William Winter were married back in 1950. And William, the governor, the former governor, died at 97 back in December. But the former first lady of Mississippi passing away in our political roundup of headlines. And lastly, this week in West Texas, they're getting to really go out of space, if you will, thanks to Blue Origin. That's Jeff Bezos' company that's going to be launching, or at least attempting to launch from Texas to space. This follows Mr. Virgin Richard Branson and his efforts here recently. But Blue Origin and its West Texas presence, they are based out of Van Horn, and that's in the foothills of the Guadalupe Mountains, where... There in West Texas, this is where Blue Origin, founded by Jeff Bezos back in 2000, and they're planning to launch four people tomorrow, Tuesday, on a 10-minute trip into space. And those four people include Jeff Bezos, 
his brother Mark, a female aviation pioneer named Wally Funk, and an 18-year-old fellow from Dutch, from the Netherlands, a Dutchman, Olivier Damon, as he was a last-minute fill-in for the winner of a $28 million charity auction. And this guy gets to go to space at 18 years old, the Netherlands native. So four people launching into space from this West Texas town on Tuesday. Make sure you tune in if you'd like to and see what's going on with the latest rich billionaire trying to blast out of space. And that's what Jeff Bezos hopes to do on Tuesday. We wish him well. We wish him well. It'd be nice to be a several billionaire and just blow your money on going to outer space. But when you're a multi, multi, multi billionaire, you have that option. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. When we come back, we're going to take you to Hoover, Alabama. The SEC Media Days are currently underway, and we'll be hearing from the head coach of the Florida Gators, Chomp Chomp, Dan Mullins. At the mic today, we'll let you know what Dan Mullins had to say. That and other sports news. It's y'all, and we'll be right back. SEC Media Days kicks off today, and the Florida Gators at the mic. Dan Mullen has already done his deal, and we're going to hear from the Gator coach in just a second. Hello, welcome in to the Y'all Show as we get your week up and going. We're a show all about the 16 Southern states. I'm John Rawl, your generous and gracious host, and I appreciate y'all tuning us in. And we are on a three-hour expedition of telling you what's going on across the South, and that includes a mixture of news, a little mixture of sports. We've got a lot of sports here this hour to still cover for you. And then before we get out of here today, we're going to be joined by our Takapola storyteller, Jordan, Jerry Short. Oh, my goodness. He's going to be dropping by in hour number two. Now, we're going to be finding out how things are there in the metropolis of Takapola. All that is ahead on y'all talk with a southern accent. Let me tell you about this SEC Media Day thing. Now, last year it was canceled, as so many things were canceled because of coronavirus. And so last year, unfortunately, for everybody who wanted to go and check it out, it was not a good time as this got shut down in 2021. Now, there have been years past where yours truly has had the privilege of going to cover this SEC Media Days. And I should have gone this year. <laughs> the, the, the timing was not going too well for me this year, although I will be in the Birmingham area later in the week. But I think I'm going to be just passing through and passing right back. And But if I see anything exciting there at Media Days while I'm in the uh, Birmingham area, I'll sure let you know about it. 
But, yeah, it, it's a fantastic couple of days, the SEC with its 14-member institutions. If you're not familiar with what this is, essentially each of the 14 SEC schools send their head coach and they send a couple of their top players returning. And they all gather, and it's usually in Hoover at the Winfrey Hotel, but they tried to move it to Atlanta for a year or two at the College Football Hall of Fame. That's when I stopped going because it just seemed like a little bit too much of an ask to go. It's a lot easier, frankly, for people like me to go to Birmingham and a lot easier to move around Hoover than it would be to move around big old Atlanta, although I really like Atlanta, so it's a nice place. But it just seems a little bit easier for everybody if this thing were, were and remains in Hoover going forward. So this year, it's back at the Winfrey, and at the mic today, you have three schools, only three schools today. You have Florida, which we'll hear from Dan Mullen in just a second. You also have Coach Ed Orgeron and his LSU Tiger players, including Derek Stingley Jr., traveling to the Winfrey Hotel today. And then closing up the SEC Football Media Days, day one, Shane Beamer and the Fighting Roosters of South Carolina. He's got the William and Mary transfer, Nick Muse, the tight end for the Carolina Gamecocks, traveling over to represent the Garnet Black. So those are your three schools here on day one. Now, just to give you a little bit of a preview of day two, and we'll be sharing some of the coaches' audio on day two as well when you tune in on Tuesday. Kirby Smart will be there representing Georgia and a couple of his players. Mark Stoops of the Kentucky Wildcats will be part of UK's time there at the Winfrey Hotel. Mississippi coach Lane Kiffin, he and Matt Corral will be traveling over from Oxford. And then also the new coach of the Tennessee Balls, Josh Heupel, as well as a couple of his great players, will be at Media Days when it expands to four teams on day two. Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, Tennessee. Wednesday features Nick Saban in Alabama, Mike Leach, Mississippi State, Jimbo Fisher, and the Texas A&M Aggies. And the new coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores, Clark Lee, the Vandy alum, he will be at the mic on Wednesday representing the Doors. And on Thursday, it's Arkansas coach Sam Pittman and a few of his players, Brian Harson, the new coach of the Auburn Tigers, and Eli Drinkwitz closes all out on Thursday for the final day of SEC Media Days. And that's all happening this week and here on the show that it's all about the Southeast. We're going to cover it all as we get you through this week and get you marching toward the start of Toe Meets Leather Labor Day week and weekend. The weekend, frankly, preceding Labor Day is when a lot of these games are going to be kicking off. So that's the media days. Let's go now to the mic at the Winfrey Hotel where Florida Gator coach Dan Mullen has already addressed the media. And here is the lovable, if you will, head coach of the Gators talking about his 2021 team. He gets a question here from one of my fellow journalists as Tuscaloosa News writer Cecil Hurt asked Dan Mullen earlier about the Gators and the Crimson Tide getting back together for the first time in a long time inside the swamp. Alabama will be visiting Gainesville for the first time given the quirks of the SEC schedule. Uh, first time in 10 years. And I'll just talk about the opportunity to play that game in sort of a non-neutral setting and, and have the home crowd for that game. Yeah, I think that's it's really exciting. 
Um, you know, I get the commissioner in trouble here, but, you know, I mean, I'd love this to maybe do away with the permanent crossover team and, and so you get these type of games more often, I think, for the players, uh, for the fan bases. I really think it's exciting to see some more of, of the uh, – of, of Maybe uh, you know mixing up the teams from from the West and, and playing two different teams uh, each year instead of a permanent crossover. I think that'd be really exciting because so you get this matchup. So uh, it's going to be an exciting day. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a fun game to be a part of. And uh, as you said, you know, for for ten years we haven't seen it. You'd love to to see see that more. I mean, well, there's teams that'll visit. There, there's non-conference teams that are going to visit the swamp a lot more than conference teams, and uh, I think you would love to see maybe a, a better rotation of those teams. Okay, we'll go to front left, Tom. Yeah, Tom Murphy again, ADG. I also had a scheduled question for you. Uh, your take on this, it's interesting. Um, you got a front-loaded kind of home schedule, and then after October 9th, you don't play another conference home game. So I just want to get your take on how that might shake out. Yeah, it's... Um, well, yeah, because our conference home games in Jacksonville this year, and when you play a neutral site game, it kind of uh, it kind of throws that off your your home and away schedule, you know. So, uh, I, we we have one already set. I think you know. I mean, I don't know how you'd ever do it, but if the league ever wanted to go to nine game schedule, which I don't think we're we're anybody's jumping up and board above, jumping up and down about right now. But I guess one way you do it is play four home, four away in a neutral site game, and you can find some different ways or matchups that everybody got to do that. And uh, that'd be one interesting way to do it. And then you have the same number of home and away games would help. And, you know, our one game in that stretch that would be that would, would be the uh, the George game, and that's going to be in Jacksonville. Coach, we'll go over here to our right in the middle. Coach Stefan Kreisky with the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. You, you mentioned Jeffrey Simmons a little bit earlier. Just, you know, your overall tenure there at Mississippi State, I mean, how much do, do examples like him still stick out as, as something you try to incorporate with what you're doing at Florida? Well, a ton. I mean, I, I think it's, it's your it, – when you look at players and you look at guys that have become successful, as I touched on earlier, you know, and uh, the most rewarding thing about being a coach is seeing a young person become successful. Um, and accomplishing goals and living out their dreams. There, there is, there is no. To me, there's no more rewarding thing as a coach uh, than that. Uh, you know, we've won championships. Uh, you know, won a lot of games, uh, lost some games. But really, the thing that sticks to me, the rewarding, is, is helping a young person accomplish their goals and their dreams in life. And so, those are the ones that stick with you. And you know, I, with, I had a lot of. Uh, great players that played for me throughout the years. A lot of guys at Mississippi State that played for me. And, you know, when you see the success stories they have, and, and I'm not talking about, obviously, you know, Jeffrey and his personal life, Jeffrey and his football life, extremely successful. Um, but you can go all the way. It's, it's beyond football. It's guys off the field and the success they have off the field. And the family men they are now is one of the things that makes you the most proud of as a coach, and that's really the most rewarding thing that you get as a coach. And that again, Florida Gator head football coach Dan Mullen today at day one of the SEC football media day is getting it all kicked off with the Gators, the LSU Bayou Bengals, and the Fighting Gamecocks of South Carolina all at the mic with their respective head coaches and some of the key players for each of those three SEC member institutions. Some more news coming out of SEC media days. 
as Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the conference, always gets up and addresses everybody before things really get underway with the coaches talking. And Commissioner Sankey today announcing that six of the SEC's 14 football teams have now reached an 80% mark for vaccinations. Sankey's saying that number needed to grow and grow rapidly. As he said, we've learned how to manage through a COVID environment, but we do not yet have control of a COVID environment. So the commissioner putting a little heat, if you will, on some of his member institutions and their football programs to get things up to get to, if not 100%, pretty darn close to having their players be completely vaccinated and ready for the start of the 2021 football season. And a friendly reminder, the clock on the wall tells us that today is July 19th. Some of the first major conference or college football games, period, will be taking place one, two, three, five weeks from right now. Five weeks we are away from the start of some big-time college football games, and that's why right now in Birmingham and Hoover, to be specific, the SEC football coaches and players are gathering this week for the annual media days, and we'll be all over it over these next few days, so you don't want to miss out on that. And also, the SEC is not the only conference gathering this week in Charlotte on Wednesday and Thursday. The ACC is holding its own media days. So make sure later in the week we'll give you some audio coming from the Queen City as we'll be hearing from Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney. And we'll throw in Mac Brown for you, too, of the Tar Heels as North Carolina expected to have a fantastic football season with Sam Howell slinging that ball around there at Kennan Stadium. So check out a little ACC mixed in this week as we have media days Big time, kudos to the Big 12. Last week they had their media days in Arlington, Texas. So it is definitely getting closer and closer to the start of college football. Like I said, five weeks away from the start of the exciting season. And we'll tell you more about Alabama A&M football in the next segment when the Bulldogs from near Huntsville are today's stop on our tour across the southeast. How about TexAgs.com? I've worked with this website for a 10-year time period. As Gabe Bach and I, uh, that website, he and I, have produced a show for a number of years called the Maroon and White Report. And they, along with uh, Billy there, Gabe and Billy, they always are doing things that have not been done before in websites. And it's TexAgs.com. That is the kind of number one fan site for A&M fans. They have secured a deal that will pay two Texas A&M football players $10,000 for exclusive interviews with this fan site. So is Texas A&M going to pay me now since I've had this long relationship uh, to, to help kind of produce some stuff for them? I don't know about that. But how about if we've reached the point now where your athletes, because of the NIL rules that are now in effect, essentially these athletes – it's okay to get paid to do an interview? Yeah, that's where we are. And TexAgs.com is guilty of shelling out the money. And they've got the money to do it. I've been to their office right there in College Station, and it's a pretty little place looking out over the practice fields of the Aggies there in Aggie land. Hey, did you tune in and see any golf over the weekend? It was some great golf play there at Royal St. George on the southeastern corner of England. And Colin Marikawa, the California golfer, 
picks up his second major as he won on Sunday, roared ahead of Louis Eustazen in the final round. Louis, 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 Louis. We need to play that song, Louis, Louis, for him because the South African golfer, for it seems like the hundredth time now, has fallen just short of a major. And in the end, Morikawa comes out on top and wins his second major. He has won the PGA Championship and now the Open Championship playing those two golf tournaments. First time he ever played either one, and he won both of them. So congratulations to the former Cal Bear. Jordan Spieth roared back on the final round. Jordan Spieth just missed out as he ends up in second place alone. And the aforementioned Louis Eustazen of South Africa ends up in a tie for third with the Open Championship this past weekend. Also, over the weekend, if you weren't quite good enough on the PGA Tour to be eligible to play in the Open Championship in England, well, you had a chance to play at the Barbizal, and that was held in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And Seamus Power won that event over the weekend, and I tuned in and saw some of that. It was really good to see Jason Duffner out there doing pretty well. The former PGA champion and Auburn golfer did good, but in the end, Seamus Power outlast J.T. Poston, another name pretty familiar with on the PGA Tour, and Power gets the victory, his first PGA Tour victory, Seamus Power, and no shame in that, Seamus, S-E-A-M-U-S for all of you out there wanting to know how to spell the 34-year-old Irishman's name, Seamus Power, big win, PGA Tour over the weekend. Some NFL news, and this is where we get some fun here on the show all about the South. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are flying to Washington on Tuesday to celebrate their Super Bowl champion. And they get to meet Joe Biden in the Oval Office. Rewind two, three years ago, it was the New England Patriots who got invited to the White House. And do y'all remember who did not go? Amongst several players who did not go? Tom Brady did not go to the Patriots' last visit to the White House. And he's a personal friend of Donald Trump's. Tom, you better not go on Tuesday. You better be kind of uh, neutral on this thing. If you didn't go to see President Trump when you won with the Patriots, you don't need to go see Joe Biden. That's my opinion. What do y'all think about that? Only, only keeping it consistent, right? How about some consistency coming from the Milwaukee Bucks? How about a 123-119 victory and game five on Saturday. With that victory, Milwaukee moves to a three games to two lead over the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals. And this finals resumes on Tuesday from Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee. And with a victory, Milwaukee will pick up their first NBA championship. I think I'm right on that. So that's the news out of the association this week as we might have a, a champion crowned as early as Tuesday for the NBA. We'll have more sports news coming your way. Hour number two. We'll take a break. When we come back, Jimmy Duke's going to introduce our college football spotlight for today. And we're spotlighting those Bulldogs of Alabama. And him. We'll be right back on y'all talk with a Southern X.
the South and college football have enjoyed a love affair for more than 150 years. And the Y'all Show is getting y'all ready for the biggest year college football's ever had. We're on a 44-city tour of Dixie's great college football teams. John Rawl is getting you ready when the toe meets leather Labor Day weekend. So get your chin strap on and get ready for today's Southern College Football Tour Stop. Here's Johnny. Today, we are bringing the swag because we're bringing the swag to the Y'all Show as our 44-city tour across the southeast is stopping by Huntsville, Alabama, and we're celebrating the Alabama A&M Bulldogs, your current champions of black college football and the current champions of the SWAC. How about them dogs? Alabama A&M head coach being interviewed 
after his team had just won a SWAC championship. Take it away. Woo! <laughs> this is for the Nick, boy. They want to know what's cause in this. I'm standing in that Valley. Alex Wynn, Diamond Ring Wynn, Jack Clyde, Limousine Driving. Get stealing, selling the gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these games down. Whether you like it or not, you best love to love it. It's the best thing going today. Woo! Congratulations, Coach. Woo! boy. Let's go, baby. <laughs> Again, that's the head coach of Alabama A&M, Connell Maynard, after his team won that SWAC championship back in the spring. And now, in 2021, they got a lot to play for as they try to have a back-to-back SWAC championship and go on to play in the Celebration Bowl if they're fortunate enough to get there. Now, this coach, I already had him circled on my radar before his Nature Boy call out there in Jackson, Mississippi. This coach believe it or not, went head-to-head and won against the great primetime Deion Sanders. As Coach Sanders, yeah, I said it, Coach Sanders now is the skipper of the Jackson State Tigers in the SWAC. And these two programs went at, went at against each other in the spring season, and A&M got the best of Jackson State. It, it was a good game, but in the end, it was Maynard the main man when he took on Jackson State and won 52-43 to on Dion's home turf there at Veterans Memorial Stadium. And so some, some interviews happened, and Connell Maynard essentially wasn't having any of this primetime bad-mouthing swack schools, and he had something to say about it. And so now we're going to go back to earlier this year, where the head coach of Alabama A&M interviewed, talking about his fellow SWAT coach, Deion Sanders. And he ain't having Deion come in and have a pity party for other SWAC schools. Here's the coach of Alabama A&M. I saw Prime jogging out, and uh, I met him out in the field and shook his hand, and he said he looked forward to playing next year. So I do too. That's good news here. That means he is going to stay. If new coach at a new school, what do you think? And giving him some advice, if he would have called you, what would you have told him that he had to be careful with? Uh, he got assistant coaches. He got NFL coaches. He's, he talked about how good his staff is and how good they are. So I'm sure that he can lean on those guys for advice. Um, you know, so he, he didn't call me, but, you know, he, he's the enemy. He's the enemy, you know. I might give him any advice. You told him to practice at 6 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, tell him, uh, recruit some more five stars. <laughs> you talk about all four five stars you recruit. You know, all recruit five stars and four stars. We do too. That's good. We got, right. we got guys. That's again the head coach of Alabama, AM. He's standing up for his players, his program, and the Bulldogs ought to be a team to look out for. Now, they've got Gary Quarles coming back, and he is a very good football player for this program. Also, they have Akil Glass leading this team at quarterback. He is a six foot five junior from St. Louis. He threw 16 touch pass, touchdown passes and just four interceptions on his way to leading A&M to the SWAC championship last year. So he is a name to keep open and, and be watching out for. He's on watch list for FCS football as Alabama A&M tries to defend their championship here in the fall of 2021. They've already won in the spring 
of 2021. Connell Maynard now entering this season. He came over to be the A&M coach at the start of the 2018 season and already has this championship. He used to also coach at Winston-Salem State and the Hampton Pirates. He coached them for a few years before getting to Huntsville to coach A&M. The Alabama A&M Bulldogs schedule for 2021, they've got a good one to start out the year. South Carolina State out of the MEAC comes to Lewis Cruz Stadium for a game on Saturday, September 4th. They play new SWAC member Bethune-Cookman on the beach at Daytona. That's going to be September 18th. They have a really cool game going on at Lab People Stadium in Mobile as A&M and Tuskegee, two Alabama institutions, have the 2021 Gulf Coast Challenge September 25th. They play at Grambling this year. They have Jackson State coming into Huntsville on October 9th. Another new SWAC member, the Florida A&M Rattlers. FAMU comes into Huntsville on October 16th. The Hornets of Alabama State, they play Alabama A&M each year in Birmingham. This year, the game set for Legion Field on October 30th. Mississippi Valley State comes to Huntsville November 6th. Texas Southern is the opponent November 13th at BBVA Compass Stadium in Houston. UAPB comes to Huntsville November 20th. And then that SWAC championship game set this year for Atlanta on December the 4th. That's just a little bit of information on Alabama A&M, our spotlight today of college football teams. And we'll tell you more about the traditions and famous alumni of this HBCU, Alabama A&M. We'll do that in hour number three. A little bit of heads up. On the Tuesday, y'all show, we'll be dropping by Orlando, Florida, as the UCF Knights will be our spotlight school on Tuesday. But the Y'all Show comes right back. A quick look at this week in Southern history. Talk with a Southern accent is coming right back. Really, really makes me happy 
is Southern History. And here on the Y'all Show with John Raw, I like to tell y'all a little bit about what's going on across the Southeast. I'll start off going back to some Civil War history on today's Y'all Show because it was this week, back in 1863, that Battery Wagner was stormed by the 54th Massachusetts. Now, if you've ever seen the movie Glory, Denzel Washington stars in that, a bunch of other big Matthew, whatever his name is. Uh, oh, gosh. Brain freeze here. He stars as the Colonel of the 54th Massachusetts. That was the movie Glory, fantastic movie that came out back in 1989. And if you have not seen that, it's a, it's a really good movie, especially since there's Sadly, Hollywood just does not make a whole lot of Civil War movies. They seem to always be about irrelevant, meaningless things, to me at least. Uh, maybe maybe love's not irrelevant, yes, but yeah, I think they should make a little bit more Civil War movies, don't you think? Yeah, sure. And other military movies that would be very, very smart to do. But Battery Wagner showcased heavily in that 1989 movie of Glory. And this week in 1863... It was the U.S. Colored Troops, USCT, storming Battery Wagner there in Charleston Harbor in South Carolina. And that happened this week. Battery Wagner stormed, if you follow Civil War history, July 18, 1863. Robert Gould Shaw led the 54th Massachusetts, made up entirely of black soldiers. The officers, I believe, were all white, but it was a black soldier regiment in its first battle, where they were leading the way, at least, in this battle of 1863. The personal connection I have is I had two of my ancestors fight in the defense of Battery Wagner, July 1863, including my own direct ancestor, Rawl, Private P.I. Rawl, 20th South Carolina Confederate States Army. He was there and repelled the assault. And you know the crazy thing? It didn't show this in the movie, I don't think. But Battery Wagner, all those lives lost, both the U.S. colored troops and the Confederates there. After the Confederates held off that Union attack on the fort, the very next day they abandoned the fort there on Morris Island in Charleston Harbor. So all that loss for absolutely no reason at all, which is often the case in history and in warfare. Also this week, we mark the anniversary of the lunar landing as Apollo 11 landed in 1969, as it landed on the moon, July 20th, 1969. If you were alive, you probably remember that well, but that happened this week. And we don't want to forget the role the South had in the Apollo 11 landing, both in Huntsville, Alabama, where the Rocket City helped out in the propulsion of the big old booster rockets that sent Apollo 11 into outer space. Of course, the folks in Houston, there at Flight Control, and there in Cape Canaveral where they launched this thing. So many great southern areas and southern people helping out our space program. As they had that mission put out by John F. Kennedy at his inaugural address that we would land a man on the moon before the end of the 1960s. And sure enough, this week, we did exactly that with Apollo 11 and the great astronauts Armstrong and Aldrin. They're a part of this incredible feat in world history. Armstrong, Collins, Aldrin landing on the moon 
52 years ago this week. And that is a quick look at some of the Southern history items that we love to mix in here on the show that's all about the South Sea. we got a little bit of everything here. That's the one thing that I'll brag on maybe at the start of the next hour of what we do here on the show that's all about the South. You're not going to get bored. You might learn a little something, and hopefully you might get a couple of chuckles in while you learn about your neighborhood. John Rawl, y'all, one hour of the books. We've got two more. Stay tuned. Hour two is coming up your way with a look at some headlines today, as well as our time controller storyteller, Jerry Short, dropping by. This is y'all. about Dixie. This is y'all from the Dixie Cafe. I'm General John Rawl talking with you for another two hours about what's going on in the Southeast and what's going on with you today here. Well, if you tune in and stay tuned in, we got excitement. Our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, is getting ready to appear in the forthcoming segment. So stay tuned for some real fun. It's always exciting where we go when the storyteller comes on the Y'all Show. And before the hour is up, we'll have Melissa Rhodes in her first report for us as Melissa's going to be filing a Southern accent on good old Southern food. That's coming up here in this hour. Hour three today, more from the SEC Media Days. We're either going to hear it's whoever grabs the mic first from the head coach of the LSU Tigers, Ed Orgeron, or it could be the new coach of the South Carolina Fighting Gamecocks, Shane Beamer. He's in Hoover at SEC Football Media Days, and we will be going to Hoover in Hour 3 to give you some more coverage from Day 1 of the SEC Media Days. Hour number 3, more on Alabama A&M, and more headlines coming up. Hour number 3. If you want to get in touch with us, it is extremely easy to do just that. We've got a text line. Write it down. Save it in your Rolodex. And you can reach us anytime at 803-816-1170. 803-816-1170 is how you can share what you got going on. Maybe you and your grandchildren are having a good summertime, and you're getting ready to send them back to school, much to their dislike. We'll take photos. We'll take any kind of message. If you've got a good recipe, ooh, we'd love to share that if you don't mind. If it's not a family secret, we will definitely do that. All that right here on the show that mixes in a little bit of all things Southern. And here is my chance to share with you, if you're tuning in maybe for the first time, and let you know that we are also available in podcast form. As the Y'all Show, not only broadcast on awesome radio stations, but you can find us in the iHeartRadio app, we're in the TuneIn app, we're Apple Podcasts, you can find it, just search for Y'all Show, we're on the Stitcher app, we're a little bit everywhere, and so that's why if you have had anybody in your life who's ever yelled at you, somewhere along the line, they probably also at some point said you had no excuse. So I'm kind of calling you out here, telling you, you got no excuse 
to not tune in to the Y'all Show. If you don't catch it live on a radio station, you got no excuse because we're right there free of charge. Your little fingers can just hit the buttons of these great apps. You can also go to our website, y'all.com. It's the Sal's homepage. Did you know that? You can go to that website right now and tune in this Y'all Show. So much for you awaiting on the show that's all about the South. Diving back into some of the headlines here across the Southeast today. Did y'all hear, this is a sports story, but it's really a, a travesty is what it is. Did y'all see any of the footage from this weekend's baseball game between the San Diego Padres and the Washington Nationals, a game play there in Washington, D.C.? They had to run to the dugout, and players had to help fans out because on this game Saturday night, it got interrupted by gunfire outside the stadium, and fans ended up having to scramble into the dugout for safety. And this is in our nation's capital. This is absolutely embarrassing. And here on this show, Washington, D.C. falls inside our footprint of the South. I know it's not going to win the award for the most southern city, but it is historically a southern area, D.C. This is embarrassing as a region. This is embarrassing as a country that we're having to have this kind of incident. Luckily, I don't think anybody was seriously hurt, but we're seeing stories about metropolitan police there in Washington, D.C. resigning. They blame politicians. Washington, D.C., in some ways, is a third world country. And literally, if you don't believe me, it's all right there on display if you go and watch the video from what happened between a Major League Baseball club versus another Major League Baseball club in a very minor league city, <laughs> Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And they have that kind of incident literally make people run for their lives. They thought they were under attack. So just a unfortunate weekend scene at Nationals Park. Congratulations to the great state of South Carolina. They've done something political-wise that every southern state ought to be, at least if you don't ask an arborist. South Carolina has now banned the Bradford pear tree starting in 2024. Way to go, South Carolina. And if you're a homeowner, you probably know exactly why Bradford pears are not exactly our friend. Bradford pears, and I don't have a horticulture degree. I apologize. I just missed out on that. But they are not the best tree for you to plant. And South Carolina is banning the sales of this popular but invasive tree, the Bradford pear tree. Starting in October of 2024, nurseries in the Palmetto State will be prohibited from selling Bradford pear and calorie pear trees. The trees are known for their early spring white flowers, but they also are known as one of the weakest structural trees in existence, and their branches commonly break after 10 to 15 years, and they have a short life expectancy of 20 to 30 years. And this ban affects the Bradford pear and other tree grown from the Pyrus Carolinia rootstock. South Carolina lawmakers and the state's crop pest commission approved the ban after an advisory panel added the tree to the state plant pest list. Yes, they grow quick. Yes, they grow and have those white blooms out before a lot of trees in the springtime. But if you're a southern homeowner, you probably detest 
your Bradford Pear Tree, which was introduced into this country back in the 1950s. But you're not going to see them as much in states like South Carolina for that reason. It seems like it's the Bradford Tree, the Pear Tree, if you're a homeowner or someone who lives anywhere near a tree, if you have the slightest of windstorms, oh, those Bradford Pear Trees, they go down and they go down without too much of a wind blowing against them. And South Carolina, way to go. This may be already on the books in other states, but it's making the news today because South Carolina, which is kind of partial to trees, they're the only southern state that I'm aware of that has as their symbol and as their flag a tree, the good old palmetto tree. That's what they actually need to make a law. Every South Carolinian should have the cabbage palmetto tree planted in their yard. And I can truthfully say, I got a picture right here on my phone. My mom and daddy, they got a couple of beautiful palmetto trees in their yard right there in good old South Carolina. <laughs> and you know what? Our next guest can vouch for that because he's been there. Jerry Short is the Takapola storyteller. He's coming on next. And we'll maybe talk a little trees with him, but we'll also talk about other things going on in Takapola, U.S. of A. Y'all, that's up next. So, uh, 
get into my, you know, since you brought Bradford Pear up, I guarantee you my daughter and son-in-law would uh, be for blowing every one of them up. <laughs> well, that's what I was bringing up. Evidently, South Carolinians and your daughter and son-in-law know what a lot of people, unfortunately, have discovered. These must not be the best things, ultimately, to put in your yard. No, they grow real fast. Uh, they became popular maybe 20 years ago or 25 years ago. And uh, people would put them out because they grow so damn fast. And I always like to crank myrtle, but they're a little bit slower growing for, you know, lining your driveway. Or not even in South Louisiana, you can put a live oak like two or three hundred years and you're good to, good to go. Yeah. But this Bradford pear, you know, the fiber is not real strong on a Bradford pear. And it doesn't take a lot to uh, break one down or, or one fall down once they get pretty good size, especially this time of year in the rain we've had. Uh, and as many leaves as they have, they gain a lot of weight, and then you get a little, you get a little wind, and it doesn't take anything to split them. And 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 the second or third branch up gets pretty heavy, and it'll be the first one to break, then another one will break. They kind of branch out. And then the next thing you know, you got one uh, one hanging up there, and it may be leaning, the branch may be leaning to one direction, right towards your house. And if you don't have a tree expert come in and cut that thing down, you may have a catastrophe. And uh, that's what my daughter just had. And uh, they had a car, and they just got out of there, it was in their driveway. And uh, unfortunately, I had that house that they live in now. Uh, about 30 years ago. <laughs> I'm the one that planted the tree. So I know they're not very happy with me about it. But uh, it, it made a real mess, and it uh, just missed the card. And it uh, fell over on part of the house, which will just take, you know, some, some uh, well, you know what the price of lumber is today. So if once upon a time, it wouldn't have been that expensive. But it probably run into a few, few dollars in um, that's probably, you know, I didn't hear all that was said about that prepare, but I would think that uh, they're having trouble with it. There's two or three different uh, types of Bradford pears. Some of them have thorns on them, and I planted some all the way up to uh, a tower I was building on a hill. And my horses, uh, thank goodness, those are the ones that had these thorns, and I didn't know when I bought them. And... Uh, the, the horses eat the bark off of them, and they all die going up that eagle. So I dodged a bullet on those with the thorns. But uh, inside the gate, it just so happened I had ones that didn't have thorns. And they're still there, and they're big, and, and they'll break, and they're in the way also. So no, I wouldn't recommend a Bradford pear if, uh, for anything except fast growing. You might want to uh, replace it if you've got some because you're probably going to have a problem uh, down the road. Yeah. Well, you talked about your daughter having some damage and maybe getting into automobiles and such. Hey, how about this story from just a few hours ago? I don't know if you had some rain and bad wind there at your plantation in Takapola, but on Sunday, or actually in the early Monday morning in the Memphis area, a tree broke off and fell on a Porsche. And it looks like this Porsche is completely destroyed thanks to a tree. Mm-hmm. I'm not blaming the Bradford Pear on this case, but no, it, it probably no. was. But how would you like no. to have a tree blow over on your Porsche? Well, I'll tell you what we got now, too. We got with all this heavy rain, 
and it was probably a oak tree of some type. Sure wasn't a pine because the pine roots go straight down. For an oak tree to grow kind of out, you've seen them, you know how they'll grow out kind of ground level before they start catching a hole down deeper. And uh, if you remember uh, back when I was covering sports for a newspaper, I was going to the Conference USA at their uh, media days in Memphis. And uh, that morning they had straight line winds that came through Memphis. And they took down, gosh, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen that many big oak trees that were laid down. Roads were closed, and you deteriorated, deteriorated there. And the meeting was downtown at Ellis Auditorium area and on the river across from the pyramid. But uh, we, we like to never got down there. As a matter of fact, I missed about uh, half of the uh, meeting because so many trees were down and you just couldn't get by. And that's because the ground is wet and the root system is not that deep in the ground. And when that, in that, that time of the year, the leaves are wet. You had a rain earlier, which adds more weight to the top. And that tree makes a canopy at the top and well. It comes down. But uh, Radford Fair is going to come down a lot sooner and a lot quicker. It's going to be as big and as evil once it hits. And I imagine that's what happened in Memphis. Yeah. If you have a question about trees and trees collapsing, Jerry Short is available for you to answer that. 803-816-1170 is how you can, again, talk to our staff, our arborist and uh, timber surveyor. If you need a good timber surveyor, Jerry's the man, aren't you? Well, I'll give it a shot. You know, it's kind of, uh, I'm prehistoric, and uh, back in the day when we, used, we had to use instruments, now you can GPS most everything on surveying, but we'll come out and do something if I had to. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have you come survey the south's thickest patch of kudzu, and let you. I want you to tell me exactly what's underneath that kudzu. Ooh. Well, if you get on down in this washed out places, it used to be cotton plantations. And the topsoil washed away and went on down in the Delta and on down the Mississippi River and formed Grand Isle out at the, out at the end of south of New Orleans. You uh, you can just keep falling if you fall through Kudzu because it's a long ways to the bottom. And I trust me, I've done that. I've been cruising land and walked across some kudzu, and uh, wham. You know, an interesting thing. How, how far did you fall? Oh, gosh. Let's see. I'm hanging on, and dust is falling. And, uh, it may have hit a, probably 20 feet. Really? You know, oh, it could be more than that in places if you hit the right one. You know, they call those things. Mississippi used to send out postcards, and they call them kudzu castles. And that was like a big uh, thing for tourists. And the heaviest area was in those really steep hills around Vicksburg and uh, back towards Yazoo City. And uh, they, they would grow up and they grow around trees. They would kill every tree. They would choke them out. And, uh, you know, people had their choice. Kudzu came in here from Japan. And they had their choice. The uh, Forestry Service gave you pine trees. If you wanted to plant pine trees, and or they would give you kudzu. And some farmers didn't like, you know, this was hardwood country back in uh, the 50s when they did that. And uh, 
some farmers did not like pine trees at all. Why, I don't know. So, anyway, when when, uh, they gave those out, some people put kudzu, and then I was and I would go by, and the guy said, okay, that's my land back behind my house. I look back, and I said, ain't got anything but kudzu. If I could saw a guy bringing a pine tree to plant across my land, I would have shot him. <laughs> and I said, well, it cost you about a month. All I can tell you, you should have let them put that pine tree in the ground. Because kudzu is absolutely worth nothing. Come <laughs> on. Can you hear me, John? I can. Let's take a break. We'll try to get uh, a little bit of this. Uh, we, I guess Brad repairs or getting their revenge here as we're having a little hell hiccup. Yep. We'll take a quick break. When we come back here on the Y'all Show, Jerry has been having to deal something in his whole community, something that they're dealing with. And it's not a good thing. And unfortunately, y'all, I do believe this is something that is taking place way too much more than it should be right now. And in this crazy time we're living in, we got a crazy thing going on for our Taco Bowl storyteller. We'll tell you exactly what that is when talk with a southern accent comes right back. Chevy to the left, 
and if you don't put a stop to it. So what the police, you know, I, I went I went in, in behalf of this gentleman, but, uh, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but uh, I went out on behalf of him with a lady and, uh, and talked to the, the police chief and everybody. They want, they want everything reported to dollar bills off of your dash because they can put together a time and a place and a location and maybe put it all together and be a Perry Mason is that, instead of a bad boy and figure out what's happening, when it's happening, and how it's happening, and what's causing it, maybe. But uh, this guy that did put this together, his car was stolen from his driveway, destroyed in an accident the same night. So these, these thugs stole the guy's car and wrecked it and destroyed it the same night. Same night. Mm-hmm. And, I've, I've, and that's been, been but uh, two weeks ago. And uh, I, I looked at uh, the photo. They had posted it. We got some of the names on uh, their websites and looked at it. And they, they, was all, they had guns, and they're, they're juvenile. Some of them look like they're as young as 13, 14. And uh, I'd say run anywhere from that age to 18, 19. And uh, it was about 20 of them all over that car before they told it. But uh, they're sitting on one of them at a mask. So they, they steal the car, and before wrecking it, within hours of wrecking it, or before they wreck it, they take a group photo and right. put it out on social media. That's right. And uh, and uh, this one came up with one of his girlfriends' uh, social media. How the picture, how the photo got out there. And it's definitely the car. I mean, it's ID. There's no problem on that. Um, He's also had uh, lawnmower was stolen from his fence patio and other thing, equipment like that. Security cameras were destroyed. And I know in another town where my son lives, they, they figure out where your security cameras are because they, they uh, got in his truck and he'd come out and run them off. But when he was coming out, they were walking down the road. But he, he looked back at the, at the photo and the film of it and... Uh, they just casually walk in, but they carry an umbrella. And they'll put the umbrella between their head and the TV camera. So you can't see their face. And, I mean, they're, they're a little bit shrewder than you would give them credit to be. But, and, and as a matter of fact, this bunch where my son lives is in a, another town from here, a bigger town. But uh, they drove from another community on their bicycles and parked them at the end of the street and walked in and did all that. But anyway. We're talking with Jerry Short, our Takapola storyteller, but he's not telling a story. This is all absolutely true. It's true. He's reciting here today. Documented and reported to the uh, police. And then here's just a quick list that he added to uh, the stuff that did happen to him. But after going door to door and talking to everybody else, and he puts, you know, please note this, you know. Many of these crimes are committed against elderly citizens, some living alone, which are usually ladies whose husbands are deceased. And uh, number two, please note several residents sit some nights in the shadows of their porches with loaded firearms in an attempt to protect their property. A few of these uh, poor people, meaning poor the situation, poor people, are scared elderly residents that live alone. Number three, several residents have had to purchase handguns 
install security cameras and security lights, purchased watchdogs, which I've done, and added thousands of dollars worth of fences, which I've done. Um, please know. You're kind of quickly saying this. You're saying, I've done. Let me pause. Okay. You, you've had your own problems, and we're going to get to yours in a second. But okay. as a way to deter problems, you've had to go out and spend a lot of money and probably had yourself to put up with a lot of fear. You've got a wife. She's probably been scared to death. And we haven't even gotten to you yet, so keep on trucking. Okay. Uh, please not. The residents have, have uh, they, they watch 24-hour monitoring of police patrols on the street, this street, the blank street. We withhold any comments on this topic out of respect for the so, so-called town police department and the fine officers that serve the community. In other words, you didn't see a vehicle come by, a police vehicle come by. Um, house broken into. This is other, other crimes on the street in this period of time. House under renovation was broken into, and criminals went, went in to, uh, and proceeded to fight aggressively with each other in the house. Can you believe that? Another house was broken into. Jury and small tubes stolen. Another house broken into. Basement floor was kicked in at a door that, and then they stole stuff from the main floor by coming up through the basement. The basement had a door on the bottom of it, and they kicked the door in and come up that way. Another house was broken into. A theft of guns, including a 410 shotgun, 38 special pistol, $500 in a wallet. Unfortunately, that's mine. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was your house? It was, it broke into the roof of the car in the back yard. And let me remind people, I've been here on this street Jerry's referencing. It's not a very long street. We're talking, what, a quarter of a mile long? Yeah, it goes top of the hill. Let's see, we did the first eight blocks and then maybe eight more, 16 blocks. Okay. And, uh, but there's not big blocks, you know. Streets, pretty good many turn streets on it. But, uh. And then let's see, large kitchen window smashed by a rock. Resident is a single elderly woman. I've talked to her, and she um, still keeps the rock there as a reminder, wrapped up on her kitchen table. Uh, rocks falling through bedroom windows at the corner of uh, these two streets, and one of them goes around that house that I purchased the sale. Stone is thrown through the front window in the mid-afternoon of another lady's house. Attending nurse's car. This was a, a, a nurse who comes around and checks on the elderly people. Uh, attending nurse car window broken out in mid-afternoon with witnesses watching. Truck window broken, truck ramsacked. Car moonroof broken. Car burglarized. Additional car windows broken several times. Adam stolen. Many residents report having crawlers around their house at night. That's the reason they tuck fenced in and cut the dog. But uh, many residents report items stolen from front porches and back porches. See, I mean, they, they really don't care. They think, they, they think they're invincible, and they can just go up and do anything they want to. The elderly single resident reports very aggressive banging on her front door at one. And this lady told me this happened to her. This is one in the morning. They just come aggressively uh, bang on the it, door, door and then front door. And she loaded her gun. She has a gun. 
she loaded her gun and hollered at you, I've got a gun, and they ran. So, uh, and then roving bangs of teenagers wandered the streets after a curfew in this town. And I didn't know they had, but it says a 1 a.m. curfew. So they're roaming the streets after 1 a.m. In one known instance, especially, that they went through yards while roaming. And, um, but can they give the streets? I won't give them. Uh, they seem to be the conduits to get to the main street. A teen carrying a rifle seen walking on a path from Blank Street to, to the street behind you. Returned later without the gun, less than five minutes later. Uh, several stolen cars also were abandoned on Wood Street. And I talked to uh, the police, uh, Lieutenant Captain Investigator, and he, he didn't, he couldn't come up with several, so. You know, only we can figure some may have been turned in and they come back and got them. But people aren't turning all these crimes in. And then uh, many, many cars uh, have been ramsacked through, items taken over a period of time on the street. Residents sadly come to the state where they consider this normal and don't even report it to the black police department. Uh, and I'm almost through with this list. Additional lawn equipment stolen in uh Backyards stolen from several residents along the street. Vandalism to signs, bushes, fences, and uh, uh, windows and back windows of homes. So, you know, you got stuff like that on one street and eight blocks. And uh, all that happening just last within the last two years. two years because mine was on there about, uh, and, and I just built that fence. Uh, three months ago because it got so bad. Uh, he was talking about, you know, getting to me about some of this stuff and, and the things that uh, I've turned down to a guy because I normally work away. Sometimes I work in Oklahoma. Sometimes I work in Texas. And uh, I have one in Miami. But I didn't want to leave my wife here. Now, you know, we shouldn't have to live like that in the United States. I don't want to have to leave her here by herself. And uh, she don't need to be in a house by herself where they that brazen that they'll just come up on your door. And stand there like, hey, I'm here. What you going to do about it? So uh, you, know, you try to be calm. You try to be collective about it. So a lot of causes, John. Yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to point out, and I'm going to, again, go back in a second to the person, not Jerry, but a neighbor of his that actually took the time to compile that complete list and turn it into law enforcement. But I wanted to also stress that this is, again, in a town that's not the world's crime capital. We're not talking about Chicago here. We're talking about small town here in the south that Jerry lives in. And he's had that much crime in a two-year time period. This same town that Jerry's referencing has also got at least two murders that have not been solved, that have got a little bit of news in their stories, not accusing these same teenagers for that, but it's, it's a town that they have had a couple of murders happen, and Jerry, you did a little digging and found out that that town, which is probably very similar across the southeast, it's short on police force. Their, their police force is definitely strained, and part, part of that reason, at least during the school year, is that police force is required to send a cop to hang out at the local public school all day. That's true. 
So they lose one, and also the chief of police, he patrols where that shouldn't be his job, to make up for not having enough police. And uh, and they split them night and day. He wouldn't go into details with me because he didn't think it was fair to the policemen that, you know, if they knew where they were working or this or that, or he thought maybe if they would set up a, a false burglary on the other side of town, if they just got three cops out, they'd all run over there, and then they'd go, this bunch of hooligans would go rob a house on the other side of town because they know there was nobody, no police anywhere in sight. So, uh, you know, you, you, you just, uh, a lot goes into all this stuff, you know, and it really does start in school even when you mentioned about uh, having having the police in school. Now, you shouldn't have to have police in school. Well, they're there because of shooters. That's what led that to happen, the the mass gunmen coming in and shooting up schools. Luckily, that hasn't really happened lately, thank goodness. But this is a sad story. And, Jerry, what you're telling me about all these crimes on your one street that's not very long, this sad story even got sadder in the last couple of days. Yeah, it really did. The gentleman that uh, worked so hard in for two months compiling all this stuff and going door to door and talking to everyone, and uh, we don't know the reason why yet. Uh, there was no foul play so far that's been uncovered, but uh, he is deceased from what has been uh, called suicide, and uh, and that is uh, really bad. And, you know, they can't find out why he did it. He he had Crohn's disease, but he had had it forever. And he was well off financially unless uh, he had overextended like a lot of people do. So you, know, you can't get into all that. And, and they wouldn't get into, you know, giving me any information on it either. So it's, um, it's one of those things when, when the leader like that uh, is trying to do something, he's now deceased. And it leaves a lot of these elderly ladies, uh, hey, with no hope. Yeah, and again, the guy that is alleged to have killed himself from suicide, he alone had all those things happen to himself. And you just have to wonder, did all of that crime against him ultimately lead him to commit suicide? I, I hope not. I hope not, too. And look, this, this you know, this, some of this stuff, you know, it happens around in other other areas of the town, too, occasionally, but not like constantly like it is on this street. But uh, there was one uh, guy that I know that uh, they were waiting on him. The juveniles were at the back door, and uh, they put a gun on him. And he had a gun collection with about 60 weapons. And they uh, tied him up with masking tape. And... Uh, and stuffed a rag and his throat. I guess they'd been watching TV. And um, they went in and tied him up, put him in the closet, and took all his guns. And uh, and that's when I was working on his house I bought to sell. I uh, was also filling in as a jailer. And those young men who were 14, 15, 17, they were in jail. And uh, one of them their grandmother out when I let them go visit them at the winter. Uh, you know, like two hours a week visit, and uh, she wouldn't bail him out, so he showed his true colors immediately, you know. So you know what you're up against when uh, 
you watch stuff like that happen, and you see what they can do. And then the school people will tell you, too, hey, you know, we got our hands tied. You know, we can only just uh, talk to them about a problem, but we can't enforce anything or do anything. The courts, you know, according to information I got, they've got one judge maybe that does a good job, but another one may not do too good. They let them out. They think they're helping them because they think juveniles don't think mentally like adults. So they don't want to give them the same adult crime record that an, an old, a person over 18 gets. They think that, you know, uh, rehabilitation will be around the corner. But all it, I think all it does is make repeaters out of them. Jared, we had a really, really tough deal going anyway with our young folks. And now with this virus and things have just spun out of control in so many other ways, I'm afraid this now is a problem on steroids with some of these youngsters around the South who are running around committing crimes. And a lot of law enforcement, frankly, they're just not able to do anything about it, sadly. They don't have the uh, manpower or the financial backing to do it either. And our government is, you know, you know of course, they want to <laughs> they want to take money away from police uh, departments. You know, they've defunded instead of adding to it mostly. So, uh, you know, what do you do? And, and the problems with these juveniles, they're up against where their parents don't even care. And most of them aren't, uh, don't, they don't come from families with... Uh, a mom and a daddy, for both of them to then keep an eye on you. And so with substance abuse like it is, as you mentioned a while ago, and after all this, that gets stronger and stronger. That gets in the house, it's easier for the juvenile to get his hands on, on some kind of substance. It turns him into a criminal, and it makes it easier to join a gang. And then it makes crime get tougher. And, you know, everything leads to the next step up. Yeah. You know, so... It only get one one small theft can lead to a big one, to a bigger one, and then maybe to something really violent. So, Jerry, you know, we, we've run out of time. If you don't mind, as we wrap up with you, could you, if you have it, tell us the name of the first name of the gentleman who did all this work and ended up, unfortunately, taking his own life? Randall. Randall. Okay. Well, Randall. Uh, and Randall's family, we sure are sorry about your loss. Unfortunately, suicide is, is a unfortunate thing that we're also been dealing with and that also has skyrocketed I believe since the virus has come around. Jerry Short thank you so much for alerting us on what's happening in your slice of the south and unfortunately one reason we have you on today this is a common problem going on across the southeast right now that's why we wanted our Takapola storyteller Jerry Short to report on all of this on today's y'all show. Thank you so much Jerry. Thank you, John, and I uh, hope everybody's fine where you are. It is fine, and we wish you and everybody else in Small Town USA that you're in all the best as you try to get through this tremendous crisis. Jerry Short, our Taco Polo storyteller, coming up on the Y'all Show. Melissa Rhodes is going to be filing her first Southern Accent Report, and it is coming up next as Melissa is going to be talking about Southern food. That's up next as we close out Hour 2 of talk with a southern accent. Southern accent.
Here's what's cooking in the South from y'all.com. I'm Melissa Rhodes. A pellet grill is a convenient way for some of y'all to put on a grill expo in the backyard. And y'all.com barbecue barrister Matt Hermans is more than happy to share his insight on pellet grills. Think of it as the gas grill of the smoker world. Um, you turn it on, you make sure your little hopper's full of pellets, and that's it. You dial in your temperature if you want to cook it 250, 275, whatever. That gas flame will absolutely adjust. You do not have to tend to a fire. You do not have to add wood, coal. You don't have to mess with vents. You don't have to do any of that. You just set it and forget it. Um, so there's an incredible advantage there for people who want kind of a barbecue experience to some degree, but they want the convenience. That doesn't mean that a pellet cooker is going to give you the same cook, the same flavor, that a charcoal or wood smoker is going to give you. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, thank you, Melissa, very much. Her first Southern Accent Report, and it was all on food. We welcome her into the y'all.com family and look forward to more reports coming from this road. It's in fact, if you tune in on the Tuesday Y'all Show, Melissa's going to report on arts and entertainment for us. We've got another hour of talk all about the South coming up. We'll get the latest from the SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama. This is the show all about the South. This is y'all. We're back with another hour of talking about the Southeast, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia. I think I got them all in there. There's 16 states we covered. Uh, let me go ahead and just repeat them, just to kind of show off, if you don't mind. Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Missouri, North Carolina, Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and West Virginia. I think that is Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia. It gets a little confusing. And trust me, we're not looking to expand and add more states to the mix. But we're proud of what we got. And here at the Y'all Show with John Rawl, your host, we got this last hour as we get you through this first day of the work week. We hope all y'all are having a super-duper Monday as the calendar <laughs> it shows that we're at July 19th. Can y'all believe that we are almost to the end of the summer? Scary, scary, scary. But we appreciate you taking time to listen in on great radio stations and let you know that the Y'all Show is available in podcast form. All you got to do is go to a couple of different apps right on your phone. And if you're listening to us now and you got to go take a time out to go over to the powder room, we can help you because we're available in podcast form. And so all you got to do is later go back and find the Y'all Show podcast. Go in and search Y'all Show at the following podcast options. We are available absolutely free at Apple Podcast. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, just search for Y'all Show and you can get it set up to where you can hear all about the South each and every day here on the Y'all Show. 
We are also available on the iHeartRadio app. We're available on the TuneIn app and the Stitcher app. All of those are ways for you to get in touch with the Y'all Show. If you miss a portion, or maybe maybe we did such a dang good job, you want to hear it again and again and again. In fact, a couple of those app options give you the choice to either speed us up real quick if you want to hear the Y'all Show in a little bit quicker form, or you can even slow it down and hear John talk all about the South. Some of those really do give you those options. I'm not, not kidding. So that is why, and some of us in the South, we're already slowed down anyway. So I can't imagine slowing this show down anymore if somebody wanted to go back and hear it on demand. But all those are ways for you to get in touch with the show that's all about the Southeast. Coming up here in this final hour of y'all, we've got a quick look at some sports going on. And we're going to tell you more about the Alabama A&M Bulldogs. They are your defending SWAC champions. And as we go through a 44-city tour across the southeast, it's Alabama A&M, your current champions of the SWAC. They are also your black college national champion as of right now. So it's all about A&M. And we're going to tell you about the traditions of Alabama A&M. We'll tell you about some of the famous alumni of Alabama A&M. And that's in Huntsville, Alabama, normal, if you want to send a postcard there. It's normal, Alabama. But we'll discuss this HBCU as we're on a 44-city tour, 44-college town tour across the southeast. And Alabama A&M is today's stop. Coming up this week, we will be stopping by UCF on Tuesday's Y'all Show. We'll go from UCF on Tuesday to TCU on Wednesday. On Thursday, it's all about the Louisville Cardinals of the Atlantic Coast Conference. And we'll be wrapping this week up in the Big 12 with the West Virginia Mountaineers. As each day, as we get closer to the start of the season, we'll be spotlighting a different team across the southeast. And that's our lineup here on All Things Southern. Again, our tradition spotlight of Alabama A&M is coming, but you're going to have to wait the next segment, at least, because we still have some other sports news and other information coming in from across the southeast that we'll be getting to here on this segment of Talk with a Southern Accent. Now, the SEC Media Days is underway today at the microphone. We've already heard from Dan Mullen, head coach of the Florida Gators, Ed Orsaron of LSU also stepping up to the mic today, and Shane Beamer head coach of those South Carolina Fighting Gamecocks. And here I saw a rare occurrence. I wish I could find this guy. Sitting here doing the show today for the first time, y'all.com at the Dixie Cafe. I spotted a real-life South Carolina Gamecock fan. I don't know where he went, but if he's still here, we'll do him a good gesture and perhaps if Shane Beamer has already spoken, we'll let you hear from the brand-new coach. Yes, he has spoken. So we'll hear from Coach Beamer of South Carolina in just a second as he spoke at SEC Media Days. So we'll get that queued up. Of course, he is the son of Frank Beamer, the longtime head coach of the Virginia Tech Hokies, and now Shane, his son, 
gets his first job coaching in any college program. He's been an assistant most recently. Beamer was the passing game coordinator, I believe, was his technical title with the Oklahoma Sooners. He also was with Steve Spurrier in Columbia as an assistant coach when Spurrier was coaching the Gamecocks back in the 2005 to 2015 time period, I think it was. And now Shane Beamer, who was born in Charleston, South Carolina, he is now coaching the flagship university of the Palmetto State. And today he made his Media Days debut at the SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama. It's day one, and let's now go in and hear from the Gamecocks head coach. But first, to get you in the right mindset, Gamecock fans, here is your fight song of the Fighting Gamecocks. season and the way the, the path that 
he led throughout the uh, country, along with some other commissioners, to allow us to play. So certainly thankful for his leadership. Appreciate you guys and the job that all of you do uh, in covering our sport. Hope all of you are having an awesome summer, and uh, really appreciate you being a part of this today. Excited about the two young men that I have here with me today, Nick Muse and Kingsley J.J. Enochbray. I've been working with him on the pronunciation of that one as well. So two guys that are very excited about those two guys. Really appreciate their leadership in our program since the day that I got hired. Two young men that did not have to come back for another season, had opportunities to leave South Carolina and uh, continue to continue their playing career at the professional level. Chose to come back, chose to come back for the right reasons, and have been fantastic leaders for us uh, since that day. Uh, Nick won our most outstanding offensive player during spring practice. Uh, Kingsley won the most outstanding defensive player during spring practice. So they're leading our guys on and off the field. They're both having fantastic summers. They're tough. They're talented. They're gritty. They're competitive. And both of them have great futures ahead of them in football. They're just two of the guys that are doing a great job for us academically uh, in our football program. Kingsley and Nick have both graduated, along with 18 other, excuse me, 18 other guys on our team that have graduated as well. 12 more we have, will have that will graduate in December as well at the end of our season. So doing a great job academically. 22 of our guys made the dean's list this past semester. One young man made the president's list. We currently have the second highest graduation success rate in the SEC. So really proud of what our guys are doing. All right, that was Shane Beamer, and uh, he's given the company line there. <laughs> SEC media days. In fact, that's okay, Shane Beamer, as he's in his very first year. He's a, a rookie coach in the SEC, and again, that name Beamer, synonymous with college football. His daddy, Frank, the longtime coach at Virginia Tech, and there you had him, Shane Beamer, making his Hoover debut. How exciting is that to have him as a part of the SEC? And I've been watching South Carolina a little bit in the offseason with this guy now leading the program. And I tell you what, Gamecock fans, you got, I think, a pretty good choice there. I know he wasn't necessarily the world's biggest household name coming into the offseason, but I think that he's got the ability and the, the lineage, certainly, to be a very, very good coach. I know he's passionate about the program. He calls it his dream job. This, again, is a guy who grew up in the southeast, He's a guy that was literally born in Charleston, South Carolina, as his father, when Shane Beamer was born, was an assistant coach at the Citadel, the military college of South Carolina, which, by the way, the Citadel has defeated the South Carolina Gamecocks two of the last three times those programs have gotten together in the last 30 years. <laughs> so Beamer probably not going to be scheduling his dad's all employer on the Gamecock schedule anytime soon. South Carolina. They have a big season ahead. We'll tell you more when we stop by Columbia on our tour of cities across the southeast. Remember, UCF is where we'll be driving by Tuesday. Today, though, we still have to tell you about the traditions and great alumni of Alabama A&M. Sharing the microphone also on day number one of the SEC Media Days. We've just got this sent to us straight from Hoover, Alabama. It is Ed Orgeron head coach of the LSU Tigers last year. LSU could have gone to a bowl game after they defeated Mississippi in the Magnolia Bowl, but LSU had a lot of off-season problems. They chose not to go to a bowl game. Now, Ed Orgeron at the microphone in Hoover, Alabama. Let's go in, Ed, 
and hear the Bayou Bengals head coach for just a minute as he takes a question from the media gathered at SEC Football Media Days 2021. Coach, how can you kind of follow up with Garland said, how concerned were you about that, uh, that there would be a spillover, and you've done a really good job lately of keeping the best players in state? Yeah. Can you speak to as to why you think you've been able to do that in you know, a couple of schools in particular? Yeah. You know, being from Louisiana, you just kind of go to later on. And I always felt that when I was going to be there to LSU Tigers, that my connections and the people that we know in the state of Louisiana and the communication and how to sell them to I mean, most young men, I can't sell every one of them, Grew up wanting to be a tiger. And I did. We all watched the tigers on TV. We all watched them around the tunnel. So you got to recapture that. You got to find a way to recapture that. And although there might be some bling bling here or some stuff there, in reality, staying home is good. And staying home has its value of being a tiger and coming back to Louisiana and getting the education and getting your network and other shoes. So those things are all there. And then, like I said, like I told Gordon, that 2019 season, these guys, all these guys watched it, and they believed they, did, they could do it again. So recruiting has never been a concern of mine. Uh, keeping our players in state has been a concern. It's always a battle. I mean, it's a constant battle every day. I tell our coaches we can never relax, and it's never done. But for the most part, we've done a good job for them. That audio from Ed Orgeron. Who was not very long winded today, based on what I'm seeing coming out of the Winfrey Hotel. But isn't it great to hear Ed Orsron talk, even in defeat? It's always good to hear from the fiery Cajun from La Rose, Louisiana. Coach O, coaching those LSU Tigers in LSU. The heat is on at Orsron. And if you followed LSU throughout the offseason, they've had a lot of drama. It even traces itself the drama to Lawrence, Kansas, where former coach Les Miles got fired at KU in the offseason. And will this off-the-field mess end up sacking Ed Orgeron? Could it happen before the start of the season? Don't know. This is a developing story, but I'm sure he may have even addressed this. I didn't have that in this clip that we pulled up here because this just happened. Here on the Y'all Show, we try to give y'all the latest scoop across the southeast, and we're doing our part here. I'll talk with the Southern Accent to give you all of the good information. But the LSU Tigers and Ed Orgeron at the mic as part of Media Days 2021. And a reminder that today you had Dan Mullen at the mic and a couple of his Gator players. We heard from Shane Beamer a minute ago from South Carolina. And you also had LSU at the mic, Ed Orgeron, it is Bayou Bengals, who start out this year on the road in Tinseltown. It's LSU and UCLA on September 4th there from the Rose Bowl. What a intriguing matchup for the start of the 2021 season. As we go to break, let's remind y'all that on Tuesday, at the Mike and SEC Media Days, Kirby Smart, Mark Stoops of Kentucky, Mississippi coach Lane Kiffin, and Tennessee's brand-new coach, Josh Heupel, all taking the mic at SEC Media Days. Day two, we'll have that coverage on the Tuesday Y'all Show. The Golden Band of Tiger 
Atlanta, I believe is their name. They're taking us to break. When we come back, we're going to take you to Huntsville, Alabama, as Alabama A&M is today's college football team spotlight. The defending SWAC champions will discuss their traditions and great alumni as the Y'all Show getting the week started edition continues. Have a lot of proud alumni. 
a lot of traditions, a lot of great success has happened for this program just outside of Huntsville, Alabama. Let me tell you about some of the famous alumni of Alabama A&M. I would probably have to guess that they have a very famous football player at A&M that went on to have a very, very successful year or career for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's John Stallworth. Remember him? Played wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers of the NFL. This guy, a Tuscaloosa native, by the way, left Tuscaloosa to play for Alabama A&M and ended up being a Hall of Fame player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Four-time Super Bowl champion is John Stallworth. Three-time Pro Bowler and a tremendous career he had there for the Steel Curtain, 1974 to 1987. Inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame back in 2002, John Stallworth, Alabama native and an Alabama A&M alumnus, class of 1974. Other names you might be familiar with who are Alabama A&M alumni. A couple of figures from the civil rights time period, Vivian Malone Jones. She actually received a bachelor's degree in business from Alabama A&M before being blocked from enrolling at the University of Alabama. So that's the name throughout history there. Speaking of history, a guy who made history in the SEC was Sylvester Groom. He was the first black football coach in the Southeastern Conference, and he, I think, might have been the first black football player for Alabama. Well, Sylvester Croom Sr., the coach's father, is a Alabama A&M alum. And how about this guy? This guy got to be a big-time celebrity when he was on a little show called American Idol. Reuben Studdard, the Birmingham area native, is an Alabama A&M class of 2015, I guess. Maybe he went to school there after his American Idol fame. I'm not sure, but he's listed as an Alabama A&M alumnus, Reuben Studdard. Those are just a few of the many, many alumni of Alabama A&M. This is a college that has produced people that are successful in athletics and education. How about Jack Thomas, class of 83? He is the 11th president of the Leathernecks, Western Illinois University. Also, Johnson Akinleye. He's the 12th Chancellor of North Carolina Central University, a fellow HBCU of Alabama A&M. Alabama A&M today, our latest stop on our 44-city tour of colleges across the southeast. A few fun facts about A&M. Its current president is Dr. Andrew Hugh-John, Jr. The campus is settled right there north of downtown Huntsville, Alabama, toward Hazel Green, technically, off of 231-431. It's a campus of about 880 acres. It's a lovely, lovely spot just north of Huntsville. And to let you know a little bit more about this traditional land-grant university, they're very proud of their history, very proud of the athletic programs and more. If you are able to go there, you'll see that for yourself. And Alabama A&M is... Very, very proud to be in the SWAC. This was a program that was a Division II member up until the late 90s. 
one of the traditions that Alabama A&M is known for on game days is Glad to See You Again. It's a song that the band there plays as Carlton Wright is Alabama A&M's director of bands and the marching maroon and white have made this a tradition. If you go to the campus there on a game day, you'll hear it for yourself. Let's go hear a little bit of the Alabama A&M University Band playing this song. Glad to see you again. Hey, we're trying to make it as close to game day as possible right here on Y'all Talk with the Southern Exit. Take it away, Alabama A&M marching maroon and white. All right, is that making it ready for game day? And they're going to be getting ready for game day. Early September, Alabama A&M and South Carolina State, those two teams getting together in the heart of Dixie for their first game of the 2021 season. MEAC versus SWAC to start the Bulldogs 2021 season. Again, Alabama A&M, it's an FCS school. It's an HBCU school. They are the defending champions of the SWAC. They are the Black College National Champions of this year since FCS schools played a spring schedule. That's one of the reasons we have this school as part of our tour across the southeast, and we're happy to tell you all about the Bulldogs. And as we told you in Hour 1, their electric coach. Go back to Hour 1 and listen to our podcast, and you'll hear all about Connell Maynard, Maynard, the head coach of the Bulldogs, and what he's had to say to people like Deion Sanders, his fellow SWAC coach. When the Y'all Show returns, we'll leave the gridiron for a few and give you the latest on some updates of headlines across the southeast. There's one story coming in today that is hard to believe. We'll have all that coming up next. That is a number you can both call or text 
at your leisure. We are certainly here to take your questions, comments, criticism, and a whole lot more. It's just got a handful of minutes here, so let me dive into some other news of this Monday edition. A civil rights pioneer has passed away at the age of 99. Gloria Richardson died in New York. She died in her sleep. She was a native of Maryland. Gloria Richardson, at 99 years old, a civil rights pioneer back in the 1950s and 1960s, as she worked on the eastern shore of Maryland. In 1962, she helped organize and led the Cambridge Movement on Maryland's eastern shore with sit-ins to desegregate restaurants, bowling alleys, and movie theaters, all in a process that marked an early part of the Black Power Movement. And now the civil rights pioneer and Marylander, Gloria Richardson, dying this week at the age of 99, a life well lived. How about Oxford, Mississippi this week? Two Oxonians are participating in the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. And in good old Lafayette County, they decided to have a send-off parade for these two folks from right there in Oxford going off to the Tokyo Olympics. The motto of the day on the Oxford Square was Jump Oxford Jump. Hundreds of people came out over the weekend to celebrate these two Olympians who will be representing Oxford and jumping at the chance to get a medal in the upcoming Tokyo Olympics. The two Oxford alumni, I think they both went to Oxford High School, go Chargers. Sam Kendricks, who left Oxford and went to be a great jumper, a pole vaulter at Ole Miss, and Shelby McEwen, another Oxonian, also representing, I think, the female side of the Olympics. So two tracksters from the same small Mississippi town competing in the 2020, which are being held this week, the 2020-2021 Tokyo Olympics. And the good folks of Oxford coming out to send off their Olympians in style with a parade right there on the Oxford Square. Jump, Oxford jump. Good luck to Sam Kendricks, Shelby McEwen as they're participating. Now, Kendricks got a bronze medal at the 2016 Olympics in Rio, and he'll be competing in pole vaulting. Now, this is McEwen going to, oh, McEwen is a guy. Sorry about that. McEwen going to his first Olympics, and he's competing in the high jump. So, two male Olympians coming on the Olympic team from Oxford, and I think both Oxford Chargers, I think both turned Mississippi Rebel Sharks, Bears, and now going to be participating for the Red, White, and Blue. A man in Florida involved in the Capitol riot has been sentenced to eight months in prison, and this is one of the first cases where someone's actually been sentenced. Prosecutors had originally sought an 18-month sentence for Paul Allard Hodgkins, but now he's going to go and serve eight months in prison for participating in the unrest of January 6th. Now, this is somewhat newsworthy because this is one of the first cases where someone's actually got to the point where they have been sentenced. U.S. District Judge Randolph Moss, in his decision, 
cited Hodgkin's sincere statements in court, his lack of previous previous criminal record and the lack of any leadership role, and that storming the Capitol building on January 6th. I'm assuming he's also been in jail for several months, like most of these people, too, so this guy all state months. I wonder if he's going to have a gag order. I wonder if he'll be able to talk when it's all said and done and share the real truth and not feel the threat of being sent back to jail because most of these people that storm the Capitol still are either in jail or you haven't heard from them. They're scared to talk. And in my opinion, they all should be penalized. They all should go to jail or some other form of punishment. But what's happened in a lot of these cases, these people have been stuck in a jail cell since January 6th. We've not heard from them. These people are not having, I guess, habeas corpus. I'm not a lawyer. Don't play one on TV either. But it's been a little bit un-American what some of these people have had to deal with for their un-American role, by the way, of storming the Capitol. It's okay to protest. We love protests. It's what this country is based on. We wouldn't be a country if not for protesting, but you don't go breaking into buildings when you're not supposed to. It's a sign of how desperate times are. And if you don't believe me, and you don't believe the fact that times are pretty desperate, a story from Charlotte, North Carolina. You don't want to go to Charlotte if you're needing a little pick-me-up. As Charlotte's and North Carolina's largest city, Charlotte and Mecklenburg County, this is a story to stop the presses on. They're running short of liquor in Charlotte, North Carolina. During a recent meeting of the North Carolina Alcoholic Beverage Control Commission, the chairman there began by addressing the liquor shortage, which is being felt across the state. But in Charlotte specifically, restaurants and bars are scrambling to find some of the more popular brands of alcohol that have been depleted by supply chain issues and worker shortages. So if you didn't have enough things out there crazy that you're running short of, toilet paper, lumber, in Charlotte and in North Carolina, the ABC Commission is alerting people, hey, we just might be running short of liquor. And so now all of North Carolina, all the, the people that like to booze it up in North Carolina, I guess, are going to be running for uh, South Carolina and steal all the money or all the liquor there out of the good folks of South Carolina. In fact, a recent article comes out across the border in South Carolina where there's no supply chain problem in South Carolina. So at least Charlotte's on the border. And if you really have to have that... Uh, extra drink. You just can get a few miles down the road to the Palmetto State, and they'll welcome you with open arms and a nice glass of your favorite beverage. Here's a wild story to share as we get our week going. A man's attempt to smuggle drugs into a Bible have him arrested, and it's a career first, the excuse that we're hearing. Okay, so pay close attention to this story coming out of the Nashville area, Okay. I think this happened in Cheatham County, outside of Nashville. An Oregon native, a fellow by the name of Isaiah McManamy, said that when you're on drugs, you find ways to waste time. And I was in a hotel room one day, and I was like, there's a Gideon Bible. And I'm like, let's hollow it out, because I saw it in a movie one time. Again, the words of Isaiah McManamy. And he goes on to say, yeah, I didn't have anything in there. I didn't even give 
get the chance. I just had it in the car, and they locked it. They locked onto it big time. They were like, oh, he's hollowing out Bibles. And I'm like, all right. So this Oregon native arrested in Cheatham County, Tennessee, after police pulled him over in an area known for drug activity. Law enforcement stopped him there in Cheatham County, and his window for a, they stopped him for a window tent violation as he headed to the Walmart. And there, Mac Manami told officers he was on a drug probation from Oregon and declined their request to search his vehicle. But a good old canine, roof, roof, a canine checked the perimeter of the car and alerted authorities that drugs were in the car. And lo and behold, officers found THC vials and paraphernalia on the passenger side door, as well as a lockbox, which this man claimed he was unsure of his contents. And then they ended up finding this hollowed-out Bible. Shame, 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 a man destroying the Bible and putting things that he shouldn't be in there. And his excuse was he saw it in a movie. And it must have been a, it must have been a make-believe movie. I'm not sure. I, I, I haven't seen that, that movie, have y'all? Here's a Florida man story. This is a common thing here on this show if you're just tuning us in. There are tons of stories from people in Florida who make the news for the, not the best of reasons. And here is our Florida man story part one because I think we got more than one coming to you today. A Florida man accused of trying to throw an alligator on a roof, and he did this to teach it a lesson. I will give the guy credit. His name's Bubba. William Bubba Hodge has now been taken into custody in Daytona after police there said they took this man into custody early on Thursday of last week after they found him abusing an alligator and trying to throw this great little reptile by holding its tail on top of a building. And his excuse was he was trying to teach it a lesson. The local TV station in Orlando reported that police took William Bubba Hodge into custody at the scene. According to an arrest report, Hodge is accused of taking the alligator from an enclosure. Hodge stomped on the alligator and slammed it into an awning. He allegedly told officers that he was trying to teach the reptile a lesson. I think this reptile, maybe in a couple more years, it and Mr. Hodge need to get together, maybe in in an enclosed room, and let Mr. Hodge have his hands tied behind his back and then see what kind of lesson he teaches this gator. That would be worth tuning in. Some real must-see TV coming out of Florida. Now, this is a Florida man story, but it also involves the great state of Alabama as one of the true cultural treasures of the Gulf Coast of Alabama and Florida is the Florabama Lounge. And news out of the Florabama Lounge as it has been hit by what's called a bra avalanche. No injuries reported. What are we talking about here? Yes, the Florabama venue known as the Dome in Crisscross Ropes by Trade with a Collection of Bras. Evidently, I have not been in the inside of the Florabama, but evidently, if you go there, one of the traditions of the Florabama is a collection of bras that have been donated for decades by visitors to this establishment. The Florabama Lounge is kind of a place you go to have a good time. And evidently, I'm going to blame the ladies out there, because usually women are the ones that wear bras. One of the traditions is you leave your bra hanging 
at the Florabama Lounge. And it looks like the rafters that held some of these Florabama brawls broke in what's called the Bama Dome. And one person was lucky to have escaped this avalanche of falling bras at the Florabama. What what does the world come to when we have a bra avalanche inside the Florabama right there near Pensacola? How about this warm story as we are wrapping up our stories across the southeast today? A 93-year-old World War II veteran has received a very special birthday surprise as the young Marines of the Palm Beaches left this World War II veteran speechless. Peter Ravolo is the World War II veteran who had a 93rd birthday. And a group of young Marines and young Marine recruits stopped by his Palm Beach area home this week and gave him lots of gifts to thank him for his years of service. And they came in saluting him and just made his day feel oh so special. So congratulations, this man, again, being honored in the Palm Beach area for his World War II service. And this reminds me here on the Y'all Show, we are certainly pro-veteran, pro I'll just confess, we're pro-America, unlike some other shows out there. We like this country. And uh, we want to certainly thank the very, sadly, small number of World War II veterans we got left. I was close to one that just died about two years ago. And frankly, I don't have a personal connection currently with a World War II veteran. I would like to have a World War II veteran come join me here at the Y'all Show. And we'll devote the whole show to them talk about their story, if they're willing to talk, and just share with you the importance of these heroes. Tom Brokaw called them the greatest generation, and I'm not going to dispute Tom's claim there, as these gentlemen and the women, the wax and more, all went out at a time where we weren't sure we're going to win that war, and they put their lives on the line to keep this country free and defeat three different tyrants, Mussolini, Tojo and Adolf Hitler. And that was something that we'll never forget here on this show. But for those handful of World War II veterans that we still have, thank you for your service. And if you're willing to come on, we'd, we'd love to welcome you in sometime to the Y'all Show because we are certainly thankful for your incredible heroism back in the 1940s. And we also want to thank all of our veterans, no matter what war or what you've done, I want to thank you. Because I hate to tell you, our last conflict that cost tens of thousands of American lives, Vietnam, we don't have, I hate to tell you, all that many Vietnam veterans left. I mean, most of those veterans are in their 70s and 80s, and, and we've lost lots of those through the last years if they weren't lost beforehand or during the war where 55,000 Vietnam soldiers and Sailors and Marines lost their lives in Southeast Asia. That's a quick look at what's going on across the Southeast here today. The Y'all Show's got one little tiny segment left. When we come back, we will continue the fun here and give you a preview of what you're going to find on the Y'all Show going forward throughout the rest of this week here. 
We're at the Dixie Cafe. Hope you are good no matter where you're located. We'll wrap up this y'all show after this.
and that's what we try to strive to do. So, friends, if you don't mind, set your clocks and your alarms, and let's get back here together on Tuesday for another three-hour show that's all about the South. This has been the Y'all Show. I'm John Rawl. Have a great rest of your day.